Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Uki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now we have on the show the amazing Claire Bibby once again from our very own Aspect Legal. Claire, I love it when you join me for a bit of a chat. Welcome back. Hello, Joe. Lovely to see you again today. Oh, it's lovely to see you. Okay, so today we're talking about the crossroads between warranties and due diligence. And I think this is such an important area for us to dive into because I don't think, generally speaking, there's um, enough sort of comprehension of the fact that due diligence isn't this um, this thing that sits on its own. It is connected to how we deal with warranties. And this is really useful, not just for buyers to understand, but for the sellers themselves mm-hmm. in terms of yep. how they're dealing with the due diligence process. So why don't you kick it off? Tell us, why is it that you thought that this would be such a good topic for us to talk about today? Well, so think about it from the perspective, Joanna, of somebody buying a house. So you wouldn't buy a house, walk in it, look around, walk out and write a check for a million bucks if you're buying in Sydney. Well, that's a very small house in Sydney. But, (laughs) you know, if you're buying an asset and you wanted to make sure that everything, you know, fits together, all the I's are dotted, all the T's are crossed. And so if you bought a house, you'd have a pest inspection report, you'd have a builder's report. You'd go and turn on every single light. You'd go and flush every single toilet. You'd look behind the doors. You know, you'd check that everything works. You'd turn the air conditioning on for a little while. So when you buy a business, you've got to do exactly the same thing, Joe. You've got to go and test that all the light works yeah. and you've got to test that the air conditioning works. And it may not be a physical building that you're buying, but you've got to go and test that everything works. And that's where warranties come into play and warranties are linked, just as you said, to due diligence. So warranties usually appear about halfway through a contract to the end of the contract. So by the time you get up to it, you're tired and you're probably not very interested in reading it. And then if you get to a really big contract and there are loads of warranties, they can go for pages and pages and pages. And let's face it, they can be really boring. Yeah, well, well no, they're awesome. You and I love them, but our clients aren't going to love them. Like they're going to see all these others. words and it's like, whoa, too much, too much. So warranties and representations are basically assurances or they're assertions that are given by one party in a deal to the other. Think of it like promises. So they're the promises that something is either true or something has happened or hasn't happened. And it's really important that those things are stated in the contract. Otherwise, we're going back to the very old premise. And this is where I get to quote Latin, caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. Because if you've got a caveat emptor contract, no one's telling you anything. So basically, friends, you're buying jack. Well, you're not buying Jack, but you know Jack about what you're buying. Mm. So a warranty will tell you about what you're buying. And the follow-on from that is you want everything that you're being told to be true and you want it to be backed up by the due diligence information. Mm. So I guess so. I guess it's like this, isn't it? The warranties are, are the promises by the seller, that the value that is they say is there is actually there um, and that there aren't risks 
that are unknown in the business. So that that's how the the warranties um, play out. And of course, us as lawyers are um, forwards and backwards in the arguments in relation to what is reasonable in this particular transaction to sit in those promises that the seller is giving about the business. Whereas the due diligence is this um, objective investigation by a buyer to test whether the value is there that they think should be there and whether the risks are there. And I guess the way, maybe the way I feel that people don't fully understand how they work together is when, firstly, when buyers have these massive DD lists and then they end up with a whole heap of information that they can never actually sort through. And then suddenly, you know, they may not realise that the warranties have been given subject to those disclosures. So suddenly it's up to them to work out whether there's a big gaping hole sitting in all of this due diligence. But on the flip side, from a seller's perspective, it can also be that they don't fully understand the significance perhaps of some of the documents that they're putting across or not keeping in track of what they've actually sent across to the buyer. So, you know, what, what are some of the issues that you see um, in this in this world of this mix between the warranties and the due diligence? Well, back when I first started practising about 100 years ago, you actually used <laughs> to go over to someone... Uh, I'm older than you, so I can say this. You actually had to go over to someone's office, right, and you had to sit in a room and you would be surrounded by files and, you know, some of your audience are going to go, oh, I remember this, microfiche, and we had to look <laughs> up things and yeah. dusty boxes and all of that sort of stuff. These days it's all electronic and it's data rooms. And a lesson for the for the uninitiated, you want to make sure that people aren't removing. Just that, This is just a basic principle, but so many people forget it. What if they remove something from the data room and it's no longer there when you have to sue three years later or five years later or something like this? But let's just take a step back. It doesn't only apply for buying and selling assets or shares. It also applies in, you know, service agreements. So if you're mm-hmm. going to hire an architect, you want the architect to give you warranties and representations that, you know, their services are going to be of a sufficient standard. They're going to do certain things by certain days. So warranties goes a lot further in the legal world than just buying and selling assets. But that's, of course, what we're talking about today. And then you want a lawyer who knows what they're doing in this space because the legal consequences of whether something is a warranty or whether it's a representation, if everything then goes pear-shaped, the consequences that then flow from that drafting. So does a a incorrect warranty or representation give you a right to damages, so you've still got to own the thing, but you'll get some money back, or does it give you the right to pull out of the contract completely? So there's lots of little tricks mm. like that in the drafting that we as lawyers live and breathe by, mm. but our clients are going to look at it and go, well, I don't know, yeah, that sounds pretty good. We're going to tell you whether that's pretty good or whether it's not pretty good because we we do this stuff for a living. So we love warranties, but our clients do not. <laughs> I love it. And sometimes clients understand, uh, I think, the um, the seriousness, but there can sort of be two modes of reaction, I think, to this area. One is 
One On the one extreme is the lack of interest sometimes that clients have, you know, they, the lack of understanding at the beginning of the importance of getting this area right. And on the flip side of those clients that can be ultra cautious mm-hmm. and concerned about giving any warranties at all. Mm-hmm. And, of course, this is where it becomes important from a commercial perspective as a lawyer, um, you know, to be able to give them some comfort about the usualness of warranties. You know, war- this is just part of the game of buying and selling businesses. These right. are normal things, but it's about working out what's commercial and what's appropriate for each transaction, I guess. Absolutely. I've just done the last two transactions I did. One was north of $5 million. One was south of 500000 And the one that was north <laughs> of $5 million, you know, we had reams and reams of warranties and disclosures. And I sat with the director and we, we individually went through every single line every single word we did Mm. disclosures thereafter if anything had changed whereas the transaction that was sub 500 I'm not 100% convinced that the person on the other side even read them because unless my drafting is so awesome that no one would ever want to change it but the the person (laughs) on the other side which could be the case (laughs) but the, the person on the other side signed it and sent it straight back and I thought oh, okay, should I be concerned about this? But it's also the attitude that the the clients come to the transaction with as well that's really important. And as you say, how much energy they want to put into the transaction and what the risk is for them. So in that smaller deal, um, my client was the buyer and it worked to my favour because I did quite extensive representations and warranties from the seller and the seller's seller just signed it. In the other transaction, I'm acting for the seller and the risk is so much greater for them in this transaction. So that's why we had to cross, as we do in every deal anyway, but we had to go through every mm. single matter word by word. And my my one of my overarching concerns in that deal, Joe, was whilst we were the seller, the transaction had been set up before we had got involved and the buyer had control of the due diligence room and that did not sit well with me because mm-hmm. my client was the one selling the company and I wanted the buyer the buyer to be able to obviously go into the DD room but I wanted my seller to be in control and my seller wasn't in control. So let's dig into that a bit because I think that's mm-hmm. a really good point because many in many times transactions will come to us, um, they're already underway in that, you know, quite often commercial terms will already have been signed and, and then they might suddenly realise it's time to get the lawyer on board, but they're already, you know, the buyer's already into DD, so the data rooms may already have been set up, which is what happened in this instance. So let's talk about that downside. What is the downside of not controlling the data rooms? The biggest downside is the risk that somebody will remove something and then you are asked to give a warranty or representation as to what is in the data room. And the red flags for me start when I see words like the disclosure materials contain all information that is material to a buyer of the shares. Now, you say that to any lawyer who's acting for a um, a seller and we will freak out because you're basically saying to the purchaser, everything that you need to know. So let's say I'm selling him a chicken shop and I give you a clause that says basically, Joe, everything you as Joanna Oakey need to know about running my chicken shop in French's Forest on the corner of such and such a street and such and such a street. I promise I've told you absolutely everything. Mm. No seller is going to want to give away something like that. And it's then linked to the information that you've put in the due diligence room. But sometimes we see those sorts of clauses and 
if you see a clause like that and your client has agreed to it or the negotiation is such that the other side won't buy the asset without that sort of warranty being given, then we really have to hone into what on earth is in the disclosure materials and have I told Joanna Oakey absolutely everything she needs to know about buying my chicken shop on the corner of such and such a road and such and such a road? I mean, could there be street works that are coming up in the next six months and there's going to be no access to that shop and I have a drive-through chicken window and no one's going to be able to come and buy my chicken because they're not going to be able to drive up to my shop. And do I need to tell you that? Or should you go to the council and look it up and find out what's going on? So whilst it starts off thinking, oh, yeah, I just have to tell them this, that and the other, and they'll go and work it out for themselves, you can't assume that the contract is going to say, well, yeah, you're going to have to go and work it out for yourselves because that's when we get involved and look at the drafting and we look at what's in the due diligence frame. So as a lawyer, you know, it sometimes can be a two-edged sword. Do I want to go into a due, a due diligence room that's got hundreds if not thousands of pieces mm. of paper? Yes. And does my client want to pay for that? Because if they don't and there's, say, a change of control clause in one of the most important contracts and I don't know about that and my client doesn't want to pay me to go and find that out, but then we do the deal, we exchange, and then we go and approach whoever it is that we have to approach for consent and they say no, and then the counterparty who's buying it says, well, I don't want to buy the business anymore. You've got to find a balance between yeah. what's going into the due diligence room, what the warranties are, and how much you want your lawyers to get involved. And there's ways and means around this. I mean, lawyers can do due diligence reports. Accountants can do due diligence reports. Tax advisors can do due diligence reports. So they go into the DD room and they read everything for the client and then they give you a report. But then you've got to read the fine print. Because does the fine print say, well, I've looked at everything and I'm giving you this report, lots of care, but no responsibility. And if a client is getting something like that, again, they're going to have to ask themselves the question, what is in that room? You know, what has gone in? What has possibly come out that I don't know about if I don't have control of the report? And if everything goes to pot in three years' time and I find out that my lawyer missed a contract or missed a clause in a contract... Who am I going to sue? Because there's this really small print here that says the lawyers disclaimed all their responsibility. So it can be a minefield, unless, of course, you're using someone like Aspect Legal and we will advise <laughs> you that it's not a minefield and we're here to help you. But, you know, there's a lot of things to think about and we do this day in, day out. So we can ebb and flow with what the client wants and explain to them the risk. And yeah. also me, I like to keep control of a due diligence room if I am the seller, if I am the buyer, I have a much more relaxed attitude about it. But if I'm the buyer, then I'm going to get really excited about what the warranties say. And I'm going to try and get you as the seller on the other side to warrant as much as possible. But when I'm the seller, I put a different hat on and I want to warrant on behalf of my client as little as possible. So you need to know where the balance is, both from a legal perspective and of course, from a commercial perspective, because you don't want to spend, you know, months or tens of thousands of dollars negotiating a deal if the risk isn't um, warranting that amount of money or that amount of time. Yeah, I totally, I, I love it, Clay. I, I think perhaps people listening in today to a large extent may not realise how much strategy there is in thinking about how you run due diligence because yep. that's ultimately what we're talking about, isn't it? It's not just, don't just assume that due diligence is just a thing and everyone knows how to do it and that there's one way to run it. There's not. There's strategy to it. It depends if you're looking at it from the buy side or the sell side in terms of 
what it is that you're providing and how you're providing it. Um, and then what you do with that with the warranties. Correct. And, you know, there's another aspect which you see rarely, but I do see it and I mainly see it in the really big, you know, sub $100 million claims, which, you know, we don't do an awful lot of. But sometimes a client will think, oh, shoot, I'm giving all these warranties. What if something goes pear-shaped and I have to then pay out on one of these warranties if they're wrong? There's a whole body of insurance called warranty and indemnity insurance that doesn't have a massive following in Australia. It's used Mm -hmm. a lot more in the States. But us as your lawyers, you know, if you've got a transaction that's going down a certain pathway and the risk is huge, we may say to you, hey, have you thought about getting warranty and indemnity insurance? Now, again, you only do that for certain levels of transactions because that takes time and that costs money. But there is, you know, it's an important enough area that our colleagues in the insurance industry have written a policy to deal with this risk. So, that's telling you that this is a pretty important area, I think, and that there can be pretty high risk exposures. So you want to get DD right or due diligence. I said DD the other day to a client and they looked at me blankly and I thought, yeah, Claire, you're not being a good lawyer if you're saying DD (laughs) to somebody and they don't know what you're talking about. Should have used the full word. Um, So, yeah, you've got to know know what you're doing in the due diligence space and you need to understand the warranties or have a lawyer who's explaining to you what the warranties mean. Claire, um, this has been an absolute pleasure. Have you got any last parting thoughts? Although I've got to say, that's the quote for today, but have you got any parting thoughts, other parting thoughts for our listeners? My parting thoughts are remember that you don't have to give away the kitchen sink when you're giving warranties and indemnities. You can have caps on liability. You can exclude certain things. You can have time limits. Like there's lots of tricks and tools that we can bolt onto the drafting to make sure that if you are accepting risk, we are bringing that risk back as much as we possibly can to allow you to get the deal over the line and also allow you to then either exit the business and hopefully not have anything more to do with it if you're the seller and that's your end result, or as a buyer, we're giving you protection so that if something happens in the future, we're still there or the contract is still there to work in your favour. Absolutely love it. Um, Claire, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on to the Deal Room podcast today. (laughs) See ya. Bye. Well, that's it for this episode of the Deal Room podcast. Just a quick recap. Of course, in this episode, we were talking about the crossroads between warranties and due diligence. And of course, due diligence is a really important topic, uh, not just for buyers, certainly for buyers, but also for sellers in relation to how you can manage the due diligence process um, whilst also preserving your rights and minimising your risk in the process as well. Now, look, if you'd like more information about this topic, then head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com where you'll be able to download Download a transcript of this podcast episode if you'd like to read it in more detail. Now, bear in mind, we have an automatic transcription of this uh, podcast, so don't expect it to be word perfect, but we do our best in um, in providing you an efficient transcript, albeit not perfect. <laughs> You'll also be able to find on our website how to contact Claire Bibby and our other legal eagles at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions 
or of course due diligence, whether or not you're looking at due diligence on the buy side or the sell side. We've got a number of great services to help businesses navigate this process. We've also got a number of great services to help guide businesses through the whole sale and acquisition process. And we work with clients both big and small. So don't hesitate to book an appointment if you'd like to find out how we might be able to assist. And finally, one last thing, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please pop over to your favorite podcast player, hit subscribe and maybe leave us a review. We'd be ever so grateful. Well, that's it. Thanks again for listening in. You've been listening to Joanna Oki and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. 